Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you all here today. My name is Steve. I'm the lead pastor here at Ignite. Really, really happy that you could be with us today. Um, if you are a first-time guest, we want to say especially a welcome to you. Thank you so much uh, for being here and uh, for checking out Ignite. Um, how many people made it to fall kickoff yesterday? Yeah, none of us, because it rained. It was a monsoon. Um, that would, but tell you what, uh, we had a bunch of stuff planned, and so if you can think in your mind's eye, if you're an abstract thinker, think about all the amazing times and the connections that we had uh, while we were there. Wasn't that great? It was great. It was great. God had other plans for us uh, yesterday, um, but uh, we want to say thank you so much for, uh, to Pastor John and his team for uh, putting all that stuff together. And the volunteers, I know that they were all geared up, ready to go. There was a lot of work that went into it, and uh, so we want to say thank you so much uh, for, for what you guys have been doing as we, we got the word out about our church uh, into our community, which is also uh, one, of its, uh, one of the goals, and so we were excited about that. Um, we are going to be starting a new sermon series today that I am just ridiculously geeked up about. I'm so excited, um, just giddy schoolgirl excited um, about our sermon series in Matthew. We're starting the book of Matthew today. Uh, we're going to be going through the, through the Matthew. We're going through the Matthew. That's how excited I am. I'm leaving out words. It's going to be great. Um, but uh, we're going through the book of Matthew, and, uh, and, and I'm going to tell you this. It is the most ambitious sermon series we've ever done at Ignite, ever. Um, it has taken more planning uh, to do this. Matthew is a rather large book. It's 28 chapters. We're going through all of it. Um, it is going to take us a minimum of two and a half years, Okay. People are like, ah, serious. Um, that's, but we're going to be taking some breaks in between it. We're going to be weaving some things uh, throughout it. But we are going to make our way through the Gospel of Matthew, the, 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 the story of Jesus' life. Um, we have something uh, to go along with that. We have this wonderful series handout that our team has made. Um, and this gives you an overview of the book of Matthew, some of the themes in Matthew. If you want to go deeper, learn a little bit more about the background of it, this is going to be really great. This is going to be out at the Connect Tent as well, so make sure you can pick up a copy um, on the way out today. It's also available in digital format on our website. Um, like I said, we're going to be going through Matthew. It's going to take us uh, at least two and a half years. Uh, we're covering all 28 chapters. I'm going to tell you that right now, it is going to challenge you. It is going to encourage you. It is going to make you wildly uncomfortable because of some of the things that Jesus says. It's also going to be a great comfort at the same time in the middle of all of this. And so uh, Matthew is actually broken out into kind of topics all the way through, which is great. And so we'll be able to kind of take some breaks in and throughout this series. But today we kick off Matthew. Now, why in the world would we take this long to go through a book of the Bible? Why would we do this? Well, because the Bible, Matthew is a book in the Bible. The Bible is a library, and it is a library like on any other kind in the world. It is God's word. It is his collection in a library. It's a, it's a collection of 66 books, actually. Uh, the, the Bible is a collection of 66 books, it was written originally in three different languages over the course of thousands of years. It was written on three different continents by 40 different human authors, ranging from peasants to kings. 
Okay, this is a wide library. This has a lot of, uh, uh, of perspective in all of it. And yet, the amazing thing about the Bible is it has a tremendous continuity and agreement on God's plan because it is God's story. The way that it's written, it's unique. It has never been collected before. It doesn't, there's no other uh, collection that has such agreement through it. Because it's God's story. What you see it is God wrote a book in a way that only God can. Okay? Thousands of years, three continents, 40 different authors, all these different things. There has to be a master author behind all of it who is inspiring the earthly authors. And that's what we see in the scriptures. There's this master author of Jesus who's inspiring and, and giving people the word of God um, through his spirit to write these things down. Sometimes it was direct, write these things down. Sometimes it was inspired. But what we see is that the Bible is unlike any other thing in the world. And God's word, uh, the Bible, is described as many things throughout, uh, even in its own self-description. It's, it's referred to sometimes as the living water. It's sometimes as the bread of life, like what we see, you know, like or the bread, um, that Jesus is the bread of life, and he's also the word. We get to see all these things kind of intertwined. But what we see throughout through these kind of food metaphors, which I love about God because I love food, and he's just so accommodating to me, and he explains it because I'm kind of dense. And he's like, it's like water and bread, Steve. I'm like, Cool, thank you, right? It nourishes us, it, it, it replenishes us, it helps us grow, it helps us mature, and that's why we're gonna take time. We, we open the Bible every week at Ignite. We open the Bible every week at Ignite. We, we study it on Sunday morning, we study it in our life groups because it is the words of God. And there's two different ways that you can kind of um, approach preaching uh, kind of two main ones, um, and, and, then, and this is where they tend to be. And, and one of them is called topical, and one of them is called expository. Okay, these are the two different approaches. I'm just kind of nerding out on you right now, but walk with me. The word of God is like food, and this food is like a feast. The Bible is a feast. And now there's, there's ways that you can feast. There's the, kind of the appetizer, uh, sampler way of going to a feast. You ever go to a party where there's, where there's lots of different kinds of food, where there's lots of different things that you can taste all the way through? Um, if you think about that, the kind of the tasting platter, think that being topical. So when you look at the Bible and you go, I want to study prayer, or I want to study suffering, or I want to study marriage, or I want to study parenting, that's a topic, right, a theme. And so you, what you can do is you can pick out different verses in the Bible that talk about those things. And that's a topical way to study the Bible. That's a topical way to preach the Bible. We've actually, we do that regularly at Ignite. Um, some of the ones that we've done in the last year, we did a sermon series called Reach One. Uh, we did a sermon series called Redemption. Um, we did a sermon series a year ago called Epic, um, where we covered kind of the whole Bible, like this topic or theme, right? So there's a topical way of doing it. And then there's expository, which is a little bit different. If a feast of topical is like sampling different things throughout, um, think like the entree for expository. Think depth of flavor, Think about the time where you like bite into like a really good burger and you, you like taste the depth of it and you like want to cry because it's so amazing. You ever have one of those moments? You're just like, I'm, my eyes are sweating. Like that's, that's what happens. This, this is just so good, right? There's that moment where you just slow down and you savor. You ever have those moments? That's expository 
preaching. That's, that's going through an entire book of the Bible slowly, going through large chunks slowly to, to savor, to figure out the nuances of different things and, and to really appreciate. Now, here's the thing. It's good to have both. It's good to have both. And as we, we study the Bible through themes and topics and systems, and we study the Bible expository, which is like to expose something, to sit down and look at. And so Matthew, like Habakkuk earlier, like Thriving in Exile, which is the first six chapters of, uh, of Daniel, which we did earlier, those are expository type sermons. And so we're going to do a little bit of both. We're going to have both. Um, we're going to go expository through Matthew, and then we're going to sprinkle in topics throughout. We're going to take some breaks to kind of do that. It's good to have different kinds of feasts, and we are going to feast on the Word of God. It's amazing. Now, why would we choose the book of Matthew? Uh, Matthew is the first book uh, laid out in the order. It's the first book in the New Testament. So the Bible is laid out into two testaments. The first two-thirds of the Bible is Old Testament. The last third of the Bible is New Testament. And the Old Testament tells the story of God's creation, man's rebellion against God, and God's unfolding plan to reconcile a people back to himself. That even though God was rebelled against, even though God was betrayed by mankind, his deep love for us, he searches us out and he creates a plan, he unfolds his plan that he would reconcile us back to himself, that he, would, uh, that, that he would remove guilt, stain, shame, history, and be able to, to enter into relationship, a good standing relationship with God again. And, he, and, 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 and the Old Testament points to a, a plan that's unfolding, God, God's goodness and man's rebellion, and yet God's faithfulness in the middle of all of that. We, we get to see that all throughout the Old Testament, and we get to see how God continually warns and encourages and even judges and, 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 and dis- disciplines a group of people so that they become more like him and can be in relationship with him. And when we enter into relationship with God, we are adopted we are restored, we are cleansed, we are uh, made into new creations where we have a new purpose in life. And that's the amazing thing about God's unfolding plan about how he's going to uh, deal with our sin, deal with the sins of humanity, and also uh, reconcile us back to himself. It's this really amazing story. In the Old Testament, really starts to point to uh, that reality, And what we're going to see um, in in the book of Matthew, what we see in all the Bible is really this. All of the Bible and history hinge on Jesus. All of the Bible and history hinge on Jesus. Jesus is the focal point of the world, right? Our calendar is based on his life. He is the focal point. All of history hinge on on Jesus. All the Bible hinges on Jesus. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is God come down. Um, He's always existed as a son, and he comes down into human history, and he has this, uh, he comes into this moment, and the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're called the Gospels, And those tell the story of Jesus' earthly ministry. So Old Testament points to Jesus. First First four book of the New Testament focus on Jesus. Everything in the New Testament reflects back on Jesus. And what are the implications of that in the world and in our life? Okay, Everything in the Bible really hinges on Jesus. And really all of history hinges 
on Jesus. And so that's why we are going to be studying Matthew. Um, Matthew was a Jew, so he knows the Old Testament, and he references and shows us throughout the book of Matthew how Jesus is the one who would fulfill all the promises that God had given. Cool? Awesome. I'm glad you're tracking with me. Here we go. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, and what we're going to see here is this. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, many of you, uh, some of you may know this, some of you may not know this. Jesus's last name is not Christ, okay? It's not his last name. Like, he wasn't born of Mary and Joseph Christ. Like, Jesus is the Christ. Jesus, Christ is a title, okay? Christ is a title, and like I said uh, earlier that the Bible was written in three different languages. The, those languages were Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. Um, the word Greek, the Greek word Christ, and the Hebrew word Messiah is the same meaning, okay? So Christ, Messiah, same meaning, just different languages. Um, what it means is anointed one. The Christ means anointed one. Messiah means anointed one, okay? The one who's chosen, the one who's selected. Throughout the scriptures and throughout history, when someone was chosen for a high office, whether it be like a prophet or a priest or a king, they would anoint them with oil, okay? So there would be a ceremony, there would be um, oil, in a vat, and they would pour it out over this person, right? So there would be this anointing ceremony, and we see that throughout when, when, when God was going to choose a king or different things. He's, he would anoint them with oil. And what we would see is, one, that person was now marked for a special service. That person was marked in a different way than anyone else. And this kind of idea that God's covering and favor would be on them. So, so when they would anoint someone, so the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, Jesus the anointed one. Now, there would be ones that were anointed in, in different, like, lesser ceremonies, and then there was the Christ. This was a one-time-in-world-history event. Messiah Christ is going to, is, 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 this is, this is, there's no one else. There's no one else. This is, and so we're going to start out with a genealogy, which means we're going to be reading a whole bunch of names today. And I'm going to do my best, because I'm not Jewish, and some of these names are, are, are not familiar to my culture, so I'm going to do my best in reading these. Um, but the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And what we're going to see, in, what we're going to see today is that Jesus is unlike anybody else. And the first thing we're going to see is that Jesus is the Christ. He's marked by God in a way that's unlike anybody else ever. And also Jesus is the fulfillment. Jesus is the fulfillment of a promise. Starting in verse 2. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the son of uh, the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Neshon, and Neshon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. Okay? So that's the first section of a genealogy, and sometimes we just kind of skim over that, but this is why this is important in here. Back in the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, in the book of Genesis, we see how God created the world, and we also see that mankind um, rebelled against God. 
but that God would, would choose a man, and through this, uh, through this man, Abraham, would come a promise. Now, at the time that Abraham and God meet, they, they start talking, and, and God says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a child, and that child is going to have family, and that family and your descendants are going to be greater than the number of the stars, and, by the way, your family, out of your family, will come a light to the nations, Good news to the nations is going to come out of your family line. Your family is going to be blessed beyond measure, and through your family line will come the light to the nations. Abraham, I am promising that this is going to come true. I'm promising I'm going to bring this about. Abraham says, cool. Problem, I'm older than dirt. Um... Like, he was, like, in his 90s, 100s, like, like the, 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 when he's had his kids, like, he's, he's as good as dead. Um, and that's not my words. That's the scripture, okay? They talk about an Abraham had a kid, and he was as good as dead. So that's as good as he was at the moment that God brought it about. And he didn't bring it about to a young wife. He brought it about to his wife, Sarah, who was also mature, right? So... She had already had maybe the 60 or 70th anniversary of her 29th birthday. She was really old, okay? She was really old, and through this, even though it was old, and the world had passed them by, and everything said, you are worthless, you are cast aside, you are cursed by God, you, you, are, you, you have nothing to offer the world. When they were there and, and looked over by the world, that's when God moved. God said, I'm going to bring about a child in a way that only I can bring it about. I can bring life from some people who are almost dead. And through this lineage comes a son named Isaac. And then Isaac had kids, and they had kids, and they had kids, and they had kids, and so on, and so on, and so on. You ever, uh, maybe you guys don't remember this. Um, Kelgon commercials where they were talking in the, this is an 80s commercial like they would tell two friends and they would tell their friends and so on and then just like kind of multiply it out that's what was happening with Abraham's family they, he had sons and they had kids and then and then Jacob had 12 sons and each of them had families and those families got so big that they became tribes and collectively that group of tribes together made the nation of Israel what we're seeing is that Jesus is in the line of the promise. This is very, very important because God says, I'm gonna bless Abraham and I'm gonna bless the nations through the line of Abraham and Jesus fits the bill. He's in the family line. This is what it was supposed to happen. So Jesus is the fulfillment of a long-awaited promise. But he's more than that. He's also a king. Verse six and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. What we see in this is that, so there was a lineage that, that, that this, through Abraham would come the nation of Israel, and then Israel gets to this point, they say, you know what, we need God, we need a king. And God's like, uh, me. 
And they said, no, 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 no. We want an earthly king like everybody else. We want a king like everybody else. And God says, have it your way. And so he gives them a king, a guy named Saul, who's like fits the bill for like king. Like if you're looking at worldly success, king. He's taller than everybody else, really good looking dude, like handsome, rugged, athletic, smart. Like people know him, people like him, right? Two kinds of people in this world, ones who are like Saul and ones who wish they were. It was kind of that moment, kind of like everybody wanted to be the guy. And they're like, this is our king, thanks God. The problem is Saul was a colossal failure. He started out well, but he had this really poor character streak where he wanted to walk away from God. And it came to a point where where God had had enough of Saul, and he says, you know what? Your son is not going to carry on this kingly lineage. I'm going to go anoint someone else. So he sends his prophet Samuel, finds a young man named David. They anoint him king. And after Saul died, David becomes king. And what they find about David is he's a deeply flawed human being who made incredible mistakes and incredible sins, actually. But here's the thing. He always came back to God, and he always had a heart after God. Even though he, he had sinned time and again, he was a man after God's own heart. And, and through this line, he says, you're broken and jacked up, yet I'm going, to, I'm going to raise a king out of your line. David's out of the line of Abraham. He's already in it. And people thinking, hey, David must be the Messiah. He must be the Christ. And God's like, nope, he's not the guy, but there is going to be one that comes out of his line that's going to also be a king that's going to rule. He's not just a savior, he's a king. And this section of the uh, lineage and this section of the genealogy is all kings. These are, the, these are the men that came after that would be kings after David. And time and time again, Solomon would come, the wisest man who had ever lived. Uh, Rehoboam would come after that and, and Abijah and Asaph. And, and over and over and over again, people would be like, is this the Messiah? Is this the Christ? Is this the Messiah? Is this the Christ? And they'd be like, nope, 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 because they all fell. They all failed. They all did something wrong. And actually, over the course of time, they started to like digress and go downhill. Not only did their lives maybe start out well and kind of tail off, their lineage started to kind of tail off. And it got to the place where it was so bad that they weren't even recognizing God anymore. They said, I'm the king. I can do what I want. I don't need God. And it got so bad at the end. There were some bright spots in the middle, Josiah being one of them. Like He's like, oh my goodness. They re- started reading the, 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 the word of God. They're like, hey, we found this scroll in the old temple. And they started reading it and Josiah like, heard it and he was cut to the heart. He's like, we have sinned against God and this is so bad. And he repented. He turned and he helped his nation. But, but by then everything had been slipping so far. And Jeconiah and his brothers, and Jeconiah was ruling when Babylon came in. When God removed his presence from the people of Israel, said, you know what? I'm gonna remove my protection. You have wandered so far from me and you are so hard-hearted and rebellious. You need to be disciplined. And I'm gonna discipline you by way of removing my protection. And Babylon came in and invaded them and pulled them off into exile. We talked about this a lot this summer. Um, Pastor Chase preached through the book of Habakkuk where we... Um, where we saw 
God warning the people and what he was going to do. And then in the book of Daniel, we saw that God made good on that. But God promised that the Christ would be a king out of the lineage of David. And what we see through this genealogy is that he's preserving this kingly line. So Jesus is the Christ. He's the fulfillment of a long-awaited promise, and he's a king. And what we also see is that Jesus is victorious. Jesus is victorious. Verse 12. And after the deportation to Babylon... Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abiah, Abiah the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azer, and Azer the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Iliad, and Iliad the father of Eliezer, and Eliezer the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Man, that's evenly spaced. It's almost like someone planned it. And in a way that they could only, could only be God. Here's what's amazing about this section of the genealogy. This takes place during exile. They're slaves in this moment. When you're a slave, you're not going to Ancestry.com and spitting in a tube, okay? Like, what, am I the only one that's done that? Okay. Um, what happens with this is you're not trying to figure out your family lineage. You're trying to stay alive. You're trying to stay alive. And if things are looking bleak. You're a slave, your kids are slaves, your grandkids are slaves. Everybody says, well, they're, my grandkids' grandkids are probably going to be slaves. We were born in Babylon, we will die in Babylon. We are slaves, where is God? And what we see in this is that even though God was silent, even though things looked bleak, and things looked very, very bleak for the nation of Israel, and the people by which a promise was going to be fulfilled, God was still at work. God was still at work. Even when his people couldn't see it, God was still at work. And he preserved his promise, and he preserved this kingly line. Even through exile, God will not and cannot be stopped by anything this world has to offer. God will continue to carry out his plan, and God will continue to fulfill his promise. And there's nobody in heaven and on earth or under the earth that can force God to break his promises. God is victorious even when things look bad. Even when things don't make sense, even when things are hard, through, through brokenness and through failure and through sin of these leaders, God was still at work. And through exile, when they would think that they would be forgotten, God was still at work. Jesus is the fulfillment of a promise made thousands of years before. Jesus is in the line of a king, 
of which it was promised that one day a king who would come who would rule the nations with justice and mercy. And that he will be victorious even when we can't make sense of all of it from our limited perspective. This is our God. And generation after generation after generation, God remained faithful. And through 42 generations that we see here, God's promise prevailed. God's plan prevailed. And for the 670-ish generations since this moment, God still prevails. And we're like, well, how come we don't have a genealogy all the way up to us? Because the genealogy was important to show the fulfillment of a promise, and that promise was fulfilled in Jesus. There's been no one like him since. There was no one like him before. Jesus is the one and only. Jesus is the anointed of God. He literally is the Christ. He literally is the Messiah. And all of the Bible and history hinge on Jesus. All of the Bible and the history hinge on Jesus. The life of Jesus matters deeply to the world and it matters deeply to us because Jesus is the one who pays for our sin. Jesus is the one who gives us new life. Jesus is the one who gives us hope and a future. Jesus is the one who gives us an everlasting family, being adopted into his family. Jesus is the one who gives us gifts to be able to use in the world today. Jesus is the one who we worship every week here. Jesus is the one who we worship every day because Jesus is the sustainer of our life. He's the creator of our life and he gives us new life. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the savior of the world. Jesus has come to save mankind from its sin against God himself. Jesus is the one that all of the scriptures talk about, the entire library of the Bible. And Jesus is the one that is alive today who wants to meet with you and wants to speak to you and wants to speak life to you and wants you to be forgiven, restored, and renewed. And he's made a way for that to be possible because he lived perfectly. He died the death that you and I deserve on the cross. And he rose victoriously, showing that not even the grave could hold him. And Matthew was an eyewitness to this. He testifies to the life of Jesus. Jesus is the Savior of the world. He is the Christ. Let's pray.